0: What if you could simply trust all information on the internet? My name is Sebastian and I'm on a mission to build a trusted web for all of us on planet earth. An internet where my parents, possibly my future kids and my own generation can find truth and feel safe. Because to save the world, we need to fix the internet. In the Trusted Web podcast, I embark on a journey with you, my listeners and thought leaders to explore what needs to get done. With this special thing called blockchain timestamps, all content you consume will be transparent and accountable. Welcome to the new default on the internet. Thank you for being part of this journey and let's build the trusted web together. In this episode, I'm joined by David Mickelson, founder and CEO of Snopes. Snubs got started in 1994, investigating urban legends, hoaxes and folklore, all before we even invented the word Fake news. Founder David Mickelson, later joined by his wife, uh, was publishing online before most people were even connected to the internet and from researching to managing the site's tech stack. David saw Snopes, which antedated the development of automated search engines, quickly became the place for internet goers to query the veracity of anything questionable they encountered online. David, what an honor to have you as a guest. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for
1: having me. It's a pleasure.
0: What's the state of the internet today? How would you describe it to set a backdrop for this conversation?
1: (laughs) Well, I I don't think I'm uh, revealing any secrets when I say it's kind of a mess. And, uh, you know, it's really unclear whether it's getting messier or better at the moment. Um, You know, we're kind of at a critical juncture, I'd say. It'll be interesting to see where it goes from here.
0: Is it worse than ever or is it? just as bad as uh, 25 years ago. How would you, what's the evolution?
1: Well, um, certainly it got a lot worse in the last four or five years. um, But sort of, you know, the the co-opting of social media and the uh, interference of foreign actors in a lot of other countries' uh, elections and affairs. um, And even just the rise of people who are sort of disruptive, For no reason other than making money, um, you know, without any particular political leadings or interests, Uh, and so right now we see there's sort of a, you know, a a backlash of the social media platforms trying to sort things out, but frankly they haven't been doing a very good job of it, and they've sort of been making up the the rules as they go along and and inconsistently enforcing them. So, you know, it's, it's something like a free for all at the moment.
0: If I say that you are trying to fix issues on the internet for over 25 years, is that accurate or not at all?
1: It's <laughs> what's accurate. We've been doing that for 25 years, I guess. We didn't really start out uh, doing or intending to do what we're doing now. Um, you know. And, and we'll discuss what we do is only a, a small piece of the you know, the pie. Um, you know, certainly the 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 fake news phenomenon and, you know, misinformation in general has been a uh, a big field of academic study in the last several years and so um, you know there's been a lot of thought and discussion uh, devoted to what is the best way to deal with this with this issue um, and of course all their Although there are no definitive answers, uh, one of the suggestions that has come down from a number of studies is that simply shoving fact checks at people and saying, no, you're wrong, read this, is not a particularly good or or effective method at getting people to, uh, you know, believing in accurate information. Um, But I would say what we do is, uh, as they say in the sciences, it's sort of, necessary but not sufficient, you know, fact checking will not cure the misinformation problem on its own, but it is a necessary piece as in people can be seeking out accurate information if it doesn't exist somewhere for them to find it.
0: Although uh, most will be familiar with the works at uh, you do at Snopes, can you quickly introduce your process and how you do it for uh, the few listeners that don't know what Snopes is yet? <laughs>
1: Um, well, for the most part, uh, what we at Snopes do is just on, at any given time, whatever most people are questioning or interested in on the internet, which is now determined by many, many different inputs, um, you know, we'll address it and write up something about whether it's you know, true or not, or usually many shades of gray in between. Um, you know how we do that. You know can vary widely depending on the subject. It's there's nothing really magical or mysterious about it. It's mostly you know standard journalism with maybe some you know detective work thrown in. But you know it all comes down to tracking down sources, finding you know reliable outlets of information.
0: Does that um, always happen on your website, or is that data or? Facts are those inject, injected on search engines or social media as well. So, some cases, for example, um, there are browser plugins which label uh, things in social media. Hey, this is uh, this is fake or this is right, or um, giving context with links.
1: Yeah, in terms of our of our output, our product, yeah, we, we currently don't do anything other than just publish articles on our website. We don't have an app or browser extensions or anything like that. You know, it's one of the problems that you know, social media platforms and others have found is that if you start, say, labeling things as false or start providing people with you know, apps or you know, plugins, whatever, to tell them when something they encounter is false, then they assume everything else they encounter is true if they're not being warned about it. And it's just really an untenable problem. You can't possibly flag every single piece of information out there. I mean, you can try and go after the worst ones, but you'll never get all of it.
0: And you know, what what made you so early on um, interested in fixing the issues of misinformation?
1: Well, as I said, it wasn't my goal early on, and it wasn't ever like you know sat down one day and said, "We got to fix this." You know, it was just sort of a a long evolutionary process. You know. Um, of course, at the beginning, the internet was very different. I mean, uh, you know, back when we started doing this in the mid-90s, it really hadn't been um, taken over by politics, <laughs> just kind of like people who used the email in the early days. It took, it took quite a while before people figured out, you know, you can spam people and send them uh, advertisements in email. So it, it took quite a while before politics caught up with the internet. Um, so, you know, and initially we were doing a lot of things that we rarely tackle anymore like uh, warnings about computer viruses, uh, many of which were hoaxes and uh, you know, pleas to help find missing children, uh, many of which were also hoaxes. Uh, A lot of those things have become centralized. You have a lot of computer security companies with websites out there that track viruses. You have, you know, government agencies or, or NGOs that help track missing and exploited children. We don't need to be doing any of that really anymore, but, you know, things evolved and I said, you know, and then suddenly we were, people discovered Photoshop and, uh, you know, politics discovered the internet and uh, a lot of what we're doing shifted.
0: And with all the experience you have on on debunking and stuff like that, how must the internet be fixed? Is there, is there, a and for who is there a role? Is that for policymakers? Is that for search engines? Is that for social media platforms or just for journalists or what's, can you provide sort of a, a framework of thinking based on your experience for solving the issues on the internet?
1: Yeah, well, of course I, would expect it would involve all of those pieces. Um, Of course, one of the big issues, you know, here in the U.S. and other countries, of course, is, you know, where do you cross the line from trying to stamp out misinformation to infringing on people's freedom of speech? Um, You know, we saw kind of the course that things have followed. It's, It's very easy for a platform to say, you know, Holocaust deniers should have no place on our platform. You know, there's, there's no legitimate argument there. It's, you know, destructive and harmful to allow them a voice. Okay, most people would agree with that. But the, where do you after you've kicked off the obvious, you know, fringe, you know, extreme fringe offenders, like the Ku Klux Klan or someone, then where do you go? Um, you know, you can have what do you do with websites that 80% of the articles they post are, you know, inaccurate, but 20% are still good. Uh, you know, you can have um, information sources that are 100% accurate, but still misleading. Like what if you only present one side of an issue and, <laughs> and no contrary argument or fact, uh, you can still be absolutely correct in everything you've said. And, You know, be really doing a disservice uh, to people who are depending on you for information. So uh, it's a very difficult choice. You know, I'm kind of curious to see what's going to happen. I said I I don't claim any great insight, but of course, you know, early on when we started doing this, the social media platforms didn't have a role because they didn't exist, and people were sharing things by just emailing them to each other and uh, just posting them on their own websites and. Nothing stops them from doing that now. It's more kind of the, the avenue of distribution has changed where people aren't visiting websites or you know sending things in email, they're they're sharing them on social media. But um, yeah, there's, there's a greater and greater crackdown on social media platforms about misinformation. Where are all these bad actors going to go? Are they going to start their own social media platforms? Are they Going to start a, a legal revolution to uh, force the social media platforms to accept them. Uh, you know, is, is uh, some new, you know, sort of new form of interaction uh, online going to evolve? I don't know, but you know, I think it's you know, given the choice between just all of this bad stuff will go away and it will just find a different way to spread. I think the latter is a lot more likely. You know, just don't know how it's going to happen yet.
0: But then, um, are you in favor of interference of the social media platforms or uh, not at all? Is that a total, totally going against freedom of speech?
1: Kind of yes and no. I mean, yes, it's, it's you could argue that it's good and it's necessary, but, uh, you know, it's also, as I said, it's kind of a hopeless task. You, you can't flag everything. Um, you know, it, we see now like a, a, just a lot of things that, um, are just ridiculous are being flagged, right? Like someone takes a nice picture of a flower covered hillside and decides to use Photoshop to make it look even more artificially colorful. And Facebook is flagging this as a false photo. Well, really, who is that hurting? You know, you, uh, one, of the, one of the key issues if you're going to start addressing misinformation is the importance of what you're addressing. And, you know, some things don't really need to be tackled. You know, and there's you know there's never going to be enough fact checkers in the world to be checking every single piece of information out there. So you know you have to draw a line. you have to have some standards uh, about what you're going to go after, and they're they're very difficult to set and keep to. I mean, there's uh, so many gray areas, things are so fluid. So, so yeah, the short answer is uh, yes, yes, but it's impossible.
0: One of the attempts we take here um, at a Trusted Web is that we say, hey, you can prove in an open source way, transparency, how did information change over time, and accountability, who was the sender of that information, to provide kind of an open source infrastructure for the receiver of information. Does that make sense or uh, couldn't that be a, a solution?
1: Well, if I'm understanding it correctly, uh, but it isn't one of the issues that who the, the, the person that you're receiving the information from isn't necessarily the creator of it, right? They're just, you know, in most cases, they're just passing along something they've gotten from somewhere else. So I, I'm not sure in that framework you're, you're discussing, how does that address the issue? I mean, you, you stop, uh, do you ban contact from people who are passing along too, too much misinformation?
0: No, the, the, that, that's the hard part. For um, if, if the judgment, this is right or this is wrong, that's a that's hard one. That's a slippery slope once you start working on that. But the idea is, before information can go viral, it must have a certain level of accountability. Ah, I see. So there's always freedom of speech. Anything can be published. But just an anonymous opinion can't go viral. It can be shown to your friends or friend of friends. But for it to go viral, it must have a certain level of accountability to it. So there's freedom of speech, but not necessarily freedom of reach. Oh, well,
1: uh, (laughs) it's an intriguing idea. Um, I mean, you know, that's an interesting approach.
0: Is there something policymakers can do can do and are they uh in many cases uh for fixing misinformation are they capable enough are they knowledgeable enough about the topic of course you mentioned all the research that has been done but what's the role of policy making in uh, fixing well
1: <laughs> here in the us no <laughs> possibly in europe it's a lot better i mean you know usually europe has been a lot more progressive in, in, uh, tackling those kinds of things from a, um, a legislative standpoint, um, as we've seen as what's going on now with uh, Facebook and Australia. And I think they already had kind of the same issues with Spain and France about wanting, you know, payment to publishers. So <laughs> kind of going after, uh, you know, the platforms and things a lot more aggressively in Europe here you know (laughs) I think our legislators are still trying to figure out how to hook up their printers
0: but must there be because for example so an infrastructure with accountability before something can go viral that's something that could hurt the business model of for example social media platform but a legislator can enforce it
1: yes yes um, you know, as I'd say, just here, you know, there, there's kind of more inclined to try and let, you know, businesses self-regulate or generally they try and do that to stop the government from regulating them. Um, it, it's pretty much a given that anything, any effort is going to negatively impact the the social media platform's business model because they would prefer that just everything could be posted to attract the largest audience they can get. So, but yeah, it, you know, in a broad sense, yes it, it it shouldn't it shouldn't hurt too much to have some level of accountability in there.
0: And for your platform, how important is traffic from the social uh, from the social networks? Is that big or
1: to some degree, varying platforms. I suppose it depends if you're counting Google as a platform, because Google is generally the biggest driver. Um, you know, Facebook, so so. You know, Twitter, not so much. <laughs> Twitter is mostly people fighting over stuff. <laughs>
0: no, no time uh, to share messages. <laughs> because yeah,
1: just right. um, but again, I said it, it'll be interesting to see um, if. Uh, the, you know, the people who are being booted off the social media platforms are aggressive enough and get out there and create something else to see what will happen with it. So far, it really hasn't been tremendously successful as we've seen, with, you know, efforts like Parler and things to, you know, can't even uh, maintain a, you know, an internet provider to keep them you know, on, on, online.
0: To wrap it up, how, how do you see it evolve in the coming um, nine years? We're recording in uh, February 2021. What's the state of the internet in nine years from now? And is there a big idea, a big hope from you with all your experience?
1: Well, I would say you know, way back when uh, the internet started, well, at least when the web started, you know, it, it was kind of touted with this idea that it would be great because it would, uh, it would sort of liberate people from middlemen, right? If you wanted to buy an airline ticket, you could just go to a website. You didn't have to deal with a travel agent. Or if you wanted to buy and sell stocks, you didn't have to use a stockbroker. You could just use a website. Um, but there wasn't a whole lot of thought given at the time that I recall that sometimes these middlemen, these gatekeepers are a good idea, like journalism. <laughs> having trained inexperienced professionals who can, uh, you know, decide really what is it or is not news and how to responsibly report it was probably a good thing. And, you know, it's not so great that we kind of leveled that playing field and let everybody out there. So, um, you know, in a, in a very broad sense, I'm, you know, I don't know if I can expect, but I would hope, you know, nine years from now we'd be more, pendulum would swing more back towards that model where, you know, we again kind of have the trusted sources out there and the others can still exist, but they're, you know, more the equivalent of somebody standing on a street corner, you know, yelling at people who walk by and not people with, with international platforms.
0: So more, uh, that's an interesting perspective. So, um, Undo the level playing field between sender and receiver of information. Is that a right summary?
1: Yeah. I I said basically, you know, what, 10 years ago or so, if, I don't know, you were in a restaurant and you had a bad experience, you know, maybe, uh, you know, your server was... you know, I don't know, expressed some racist viewpoint, what could you do about it? You could tell your complaint to the manager, tell your friends and neighbors, you know, maybe write a letter to your local newspaper, but it would probably end there. But now, you know, people post things like that on social media, and a half hour later, it's a headline in the New York Post or something. Um, In some sense, it's good, because it's brought a lot of things to, to light that weren't being exposed very much, like a lot of you know, uh, police brutality activity and things like that. But, you know, <laughs> for every one thing it exposed, we've got, you know, now got thousands of things that are just, you know, <laughs> you know, wrong, erroneous, harmful, misleading, you know, driving uh, conflicts.
0: Are you filled with hope? Will we solve it? Or is that the direction we should go, but there's no trust in arrival?
1: i i would say i'm more optimistic because it's not like misinformation is a new problem right it's always existed throughout human history and as i like to say you know that the technology changes human nature not so much um so you know it, it's you know there have been times when misinformation has had bad effects on the world but it's never completely taken over the world you know we manage to think, sort things out one way or the other. So I I expect we'll do so again. Um, and maybe over a very long time, human nature will change and <laughs> we'll stop wanting to hear these kinds of things.
0: Is there a, an advice you have for journalists to take back the stage?
1: <laughs> um, no, I mean, you know, m- most of them are, are doing you know, what they do and doing it responsibly. It's, um, you know, kind of, I, I was just in a, in a, you know, sort of monitoring a course the other day. Um, yeah, if anything, it's just journalists have to learn how to adapt to this kind of brave new world that, you know, the, the way in which you, you know, do investigations online is very different than, you know, sort of on the, 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 the pre-internet world. And, you know, it's still taking, there's still quite a bit of a learning curve there for
0: journalists. Where should journalists go to be educated enough for this era of information?
1: I don't know if they want to mention any names and give any company an advantage over the other, but there are a number of, you know, web publications and journalism organizations that run courses on, uh, you know, digital investigations and things. They're not hard to find, you know, it's just, you know learning a whole new set of tools for the, for the online world, you know, to try and sort out, you know, where, where things are coming from, where they started, who posted them, who's following them, you know, who has a vested interest in spreading them. And I said, it doesn't, it doesn't stop at our doorstep anymore. It's global, you know, it's, um, you never know who may be behind
0: it. Let's see where we as a society can take it in the coming, uh, in this decade. Uh, David, thanks so much for joining the show. Where can people find the important work you do?
1: (laughs) Well, it's at Snopes.com, S-N-O-P-E-S.com. You know, we're here every day, it never ends. You know, it's, it's, it's like housework. You just do it and then you start over again.
0: Thanks so much for sharing your story and sharing your experience.
1: Yes, let's build a trusted web together.
0: That was David Mickelson sharing his insights from over 25 years of entrepreneurship at Snopes. I'd love to invite you to go to detrustedweb.org podcast. There you'll find not only the show notes of this episode, but also a report we did on the state of misinformation as we surveyed thousands of people across the globe to better understand the impact misinformation has on their lives and how they view those problems around it. There are incredible findings in those reports that surprised all of us over here and will probably surprise you too. Furthermore, on the website, you'll find the other episodes, other guests, and there's education and there are use cases, all for building a Trusted Web. It's all available there, of course, for free, trustedweb.org slash podcast. Thank you for listening and therefore being part of the Trusted Web journey. And let's build the Trusted Web together.